Diversion Podcast in association with iHeartRadio. I'm Gary Myers, and this is the GOAT, Tom Brady. Episode 10, The Deflategate Diaries. It was not where I expected to be on August 12, 2015. I was supposed to be in Giants or Jets training camp watching practice. So I can only imagine how Tom Brady felt to be at 500 Court Street in Lower Manhattan the day before the Patriots' preseason opener, trying to get his four-game suspension overturned and at the same time preserve and protect his legacy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the biggest waste of time and $5 million in NFL history, Deflategate. Was Tom Brady, Super Bowl champion, really a cheater? Did he order a needle be inserted in a dozen footballs to let the air out to make them easier to throw in the cold and rainy weather he faced on the day he was accused by the Colts of doctoring the footballs in the 2014 AFC Championship game. He was asked that question point-blank at a press conference a few days after the championship game, with the Patriots already slipping into crisis mode after having once again been accused of cheating. I don't believe so. I mean, I feel like I've always within the rules I would never do anything to break the rules um, I believe in fair play and I respect the league and you know everything that they're doing to try to create a very competitive uh, playing field for all the NFL teams it's a very competitive league you know every team is um, they're trying to do the best they can to win every week you know I believe in fair play and, uh, and I always believe in it for as long as I'm playing seven months later I arrived early at US District Court in Foley Square a big media crowd was anticipated. I wanted to make sure I got a seat in the courtroom where all the fun would be happening rather than getting stuck watching on closed circuit television in the spillover room. I took the Metro North train from my home in Westchester County outside New York City. It's a 55 minute ride to Grand Central Terminal. I then headed through the rush hour crowd in the Grand Central lobby to the escalator taking me downstairs to the New York City subway system. From there, it was a 15-minute ride on the number five train to the Brooklyn Bridge City Hall stop and a five-minute walk to the courthouse. Arrival time, 8.45 a.m. Kickoff, so to speak, was scheduled for 9.30 a.m. I went through security, went in the elevator to the 17th floor to the area outside the Honorable Richard Berman's courtroom. Courtroom 17B, to be exact. It was a Super Bowl of hearings. Tom Brady, the GOAT, had just earned his fourth Super Bowl ring and was fighting for his honor and to keep an asterisk off his achievements. Spygate had been so popular. Why not a sequel with the Patriots ensemble cast together once again? It was two months before my Brady versus Manning book would be available in bookstores, and one of the co-stars of the 254 pages had just emerged in a dark business suit and sunglasses from the back of a black SUV walked past the paparazzi, went through security, got on the elevator, and walked down a long corridor to room 17B. He glanced over quickly at the lineup of media waiting to enter, saw me and nodded with a look of, what the hell am I doing here? Meaning him. Roger Goodell and his team of lawyers already arrived. They were coming after Brady harder than Strahan and Tuck and Yumanura and the rest of the Giants defense in Super Bowl 42. I thought the accusations were nonsense, and over the next year or so, so did most others, except for Roger Goodell. But while the controversy was red hot, 
Brady was painted as a liar and cheater, and his father back home in San Mateo in California was sizzling hot as his son was being raked over the coals. Tom Brady's first Deflategate press conference on January 22, 2015, four days after the AFC Championship game, was such a huge event that CNN incredibly broke into its regular programming and broadcast it live. That's the height of absurdity. That was the power of Brady, the Patriots, and the NFL. Did the league's golden boy break the rules? Here's what Brady said at the jam-packed press conference. It's always the same process I get here. The playoffs, I got here pretty early before the games, and then I go in there and I choose. You know, however many balls are necessary for the game. Um, sometimes it's 12, 16, 18, 24. Uh, this last particular game was 24. When I felt them, they were perfect. I mean, they, I wouldn't want anyone touching those. I would zip those things up and lock them away until I got out on the field and had the opportunity to play with them. And that's what I thought I was doing. Before we go back to court, I have a few tidbits and one funny story. I covered that Colts-Patriots game on January 18th, 2015. It started at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time and was 12.30 a.m. by the time I finished my column. The NFL provided buses for the 45-minute ride back to the Media Hotel in Providence. The game was a 45-7 blowout, and there wasn't much to write about other than it was going to be an intriguing Super Bowl matchup. New England versus Seattle. Could Russell Wilson, in just his third season, beat Peyton Manning and now Tom Brady back-to-back in the Super Bowl? I was talking with my friend Bart Hobbick of the New York Post as we sat on the bus in the Gillette Stadium parking lot waiting for a few more media members. Bart was scrolling through his Twitter account and one tweet with a timestamp of 12.55 a.m. jumped off his phone. It was from Bob Kravitz, respected longtime journalist in Indianapolis. Bob was at the game with us. The tweet read, Breaking. A league source tells me the NFL is investigating the possibility the Patriots deflated football Sunday night. More to come. Hubbock showed it to me. Then he said, Deflategate. He had already come up with a name for it. We laughed. Since Watergate, every scandal automatically gets gate attached to the end of it, especially in the NFL. Spygate, Boundergate, now Deflategate. We had no idea at that time this story would get so huge. I mean, who deflates footballs? But I give Bart credit for coming up with the name. The next morning, as the story was now national news, Brady was sitting in Patriots owner Robert Kraft's office. Kraft months later relayed the conversation to me that he had with Tom. Kraft said he told Brady to be honest with him. If he did anything wrong, tell him now, and he would call Goodell and try to make this go away quietly with minimum sanctions and certainly no suspension. But Brady had to tell him the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I've said many times that Brady is like a son to Kraft. Kraft considers him family. Brady looked Kraft in the eye and swore on the life of his children that he did not order the footballs to be deflated, knew nothing about how the footballs were deflated, or that they were even deflated. Kraft believed him, and he still does. And here's the funny story I wanted to tell you. Before Brady held his first Deflategate press conference, the New York tabloids were already having a field day using the word balls in the headlines. As you can imagine, they were pretty creative, always punny, and occasionally funny. I was working at the Daily News, and I looked at it as just more evidence in the decline of journalism. 
As a result of the tabloid headline writers taking aim at Brady, the Patriots public relations staff prepped him before he subjected himself to a barrage of questions that would last about a half an hour. Their advice, anytime you mention the footballs, say footballs. Do not under any circumstances say balls. Do not give the tabloids easy material. Remember, footballs, not balls. Brady nodded. He was just 11 seconds into his first answer when he said he has a process to pick out the balls that he wants to use in the game. The Patriots PR staff was cringing. The headline writers were doing a touchdown dance. Were you even listening, Tom? In his next reference, he did say footballs. Okay, he's got it, right? Nope. He said balls five more times in his first answer. I lost track of how many times he said it during the press conference. The back page headline the next day in the Daily News had a picture of Brady, and the headline said, My balls are perfect. Perfect, right? In this instance, Brady was uncoachable. Good thing he was much more attentive listening to Bill Belichick on game day. Belichick had been through his own battle with Goodell four years earlier in Spygate, and he distanced himself immediately from Brady in his first public comments on Deflategate a few hours before Brady spoke. The hoodie wanted no part of this one. I think we all know that quarterbacks, kickers, specialists have certain preferences on footballs. They know a lot more about it than I do. They're a lot more sensitive to it than I am. And I hear them comment on it from time to time. But I can tell you, and they will tell you, that there is never any sympathy whatsoever for me on that subject. Zero. And Tom's personal preferences on his ball footballs are something that he can talk about in much better detail. Two days later, at an impromptu press conference on a Saturday, Belichick made it clear he had spent way too much time that week learning how footballs lose pressure due to cold air. It took away from his preparation for the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. How many of us who live where it's cold in the winter have experienced the air pressure warning light in our cars coming on? It's a fact that the PSI, pounds per square inch, decrease as it gets colder if a car is left outside. Same with footballs, apparently. The Patriots were using the natural gas law as their defense. Footballs in the NFL require to be between 12.5 and 13.5 PSI. Quarterbacks on each team are allowed to prepare the footballs before the game and choose the ones they want in the game when their team has the ball. Some like them scuffed, some like them relatively new. Nobody likes them right out of the box. They're too slick. Some like them at 12.5, some like them at 13.5, some like them in between. Brady and Peyton Manning were instrumental in the league passing rule in 2006, allowing each team and each quarterback to prepare their own footballs rather than the home team doing it for both teams. That presented a more even playing field for the road team. The quarterbacks prepare 24 footballs for each game, and 12 were then selected. The footballs are delivered by the locker room staff to the officials' locker room before the game, and they are checked out. Brady was accused of having one of his locker room guys stick a needle in the footballs to take the air out after they were examined by the officials. He denied everything. Everybody has an opinion on whether Tom was guilty, but one thing all quarterbacks agree on. 
no football would ever be altered without the quarterback's direction and understanding and permission. There is a surveillance tape that surfaced of a Patriots locker room guy that day carrying the bag of balls to the field and slipping into a field-level bathroom for 100 seconds. Was he taking out air or was he peeing? Thankfully, there were no cameras inside the bathroom. More of the GOAT, Tom Brady, coming up. After the Colts linebacker, Dequell Jackson intercepted Brady six minutes into the second quarter. He brought the football to the sideline and gave it to a Colts staffer to set aside for him as a souvenir. Jackson had just picked off the great Tom Brady, and he wanted that football. Colts general manager Ryan Grigson later revealed that prior to the game, the Colts notified the league office that it had concerns about the Patriots messing with the footballs. When Jackson brought his interception to the sidelines, the Colts checked it out. Bingo. It felt soft. Grixon alerted the league. At halftime, it was determined that many of the Patriots' footballs were underinflated, one by two pounds, others by less. The Patriots were not informed that there was any issue. Anyway, it prompted what definitely is the funniest line Belichick has ever publicly uttered. At that Saturday press conference, he referenced the popular movie My Cousin Vinny as he explained how footballs lose pressure because of atmospheric conditions. Professor Belichick appeared to be holding a high school earth science class. So I just want to share with you what I've learned over the past week. I'm embarrassed to talk about the amount of time that I've put into this relative to the other important challenge in front of us. I'm not a scientist. I'm not an expert in footballs. I'm not an expert in football measurements. I'm just telling you what I know. I would not say that I'm Mona Lisa Fido of the football world as she was in the car expertise area, all right? And at no time was there any intent whatsoever to try to compromise the integrity of the game or to gain an advantage, quite the opposite. Marissa Tomei played the iconic Ms. Vito in the movie. She told Rich Eisen of NFL Network she was on a flight from Miami when Belichick made that reference and her phone started buzzing with text messages. She even texted her My Cousin Vinny co-star Joe Pesci when she landed. Anyway, Kraft traditionally holds a party at his home in Brookline on the Saturday night before the AFC Championship game if it's being played in Foxborough. One of his guests that year was Goodell. They had a very close relationship, and Kraft was one of Goodell's key advisors. Deflategate eventually caused a chilling in that friendship. The next day is when the Colts complained about the first half footballs. They trailed 17-7. The footballs were checked at halftime by the officials. The Patriots used properly inflated footballs in the second half. Then the Patriots outscored the Colts 28-0 for a 45-7 victory. Perhaps the Colts shouldn't have said anything. One week later, I saw Colts quarterback Andrew Luck in the AFC locker room at the Pro Bowl in Glendale, Arizona. 
just leave like a little bit of a bitter taste in your mouth that maybe I mean the game was so one sided. I, I know. have a bitter taste in my mouth because they beat us bad. Right, <laughs> yeah, right. So that, that's all, all I thought about. But just in, in terms of maybe they weren't uh, playing by the rules. Or, yeah. Brady had now transitioned from talking about footballs to talking about football. He was much more concerned with beating Seattle than any Deflategate investigation. Brady won three Super Bowls in his first four years as a starter, but now it had been 10 years since he last won the Lombardi Trophy. Four years after losing to the Giants in Super Bowl 42, New York beat the Patriots again. Now Brady was back, still in search of his fourth ring. No quarterback has ever played in the Super Bowl 10 years apart. Peyton Manning's first and last Super Bowls were nine years apart, but he played in two others in between. The gap in Brady's career made him take a step back and soak in his accomplishments. I had this conversation with Tom when he had three Super Bowl rings. I think if anything, I've gained more of an appreciation for the challenges. So, you know, when I was in 2001, I had no idea. It was just like, oh, great. You know, we won just like yeah. we won in college right. all the time. We won a lot in college. So, yeah, what's different? Yeah. And then in 2003, we won, and it was awesome because of what happened in 2002. We didn't make the playoffs. Right. In 2004, we won it again, and it was like, okay, not, you know, enough. I mean, this is the off seasons are getting really short. I mean, <laughs> like, okay, you know, this is just the way it's going to go. And then, it wasn't that long, but five, oh six, oh seven, we had another shot. Oh eight, I got hurt. Two thousand nine, we didn't have a very good team. Two thousand ten, we were fourteen and two. Lost in the first round of the playoffs. Two thousand eleven, could have won the Super Bowl. Right. Two thousand twelve, made it to the championship game. So I mean, we're right. We're knocking at the door. I mean, it's. I'm glad that we're a competitive team. I mean, you, it's not like you're going to win six. You know, six, seven Super Bowls. Well, Brady has now won six. Based on what he said in that interview, he obviously didn't expect to get there. Hey, even his buddy, who happens to be the GOAT of basketball, didn't win every year. Why didn't Michael Jordan win 12 championships? Right. I mean, he won six. I mean, there's still a ton, but yeah. I mean, you're not going to, with how good the, the other players are, the level playing field, especially in the NFL, in the salary cap era, it's. You know, it's 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 hard to win. There's so much turnover on the teams. There's so much injuries become a factor in a season. Um, you know, one critical player on one side of the ball gets injured. Mm -hmm. So winning the Super Bowl is about putting yourself, your team in a position when it matters in January, and then your matchups each game. We'll be back with more of the GOAT, Tom Brady, right after this. With the pending Deflategate investigation hanging over his head, Brady played a nearly perfect fourth quarter against Seattle, in which he brought the Patriots from 10 points down to beat the Seahawks 28-24 in Super Bowl 49. That game is remembered for the single worst play call in sports history when the Seahawks elected to have Russell Wilson throw the ball rather than give it to the unstoppable Marshawn Lynch to run it in from the one-yard line. Instead, Wilson's pass was intercepted by undrafted rookie free agent Malcolm Butler in the end zone with 20 seconds left. Brady watched the play unfold on the stadium video board and was jumping up and down like a little kid 
as he screamed to the offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, we did it, Josh, we did it. Brady was named Super Bowl MVP for the third time. He kept the trophy and gave the car that came with it to Butler. He posed for pictures with Goodell at the MVP press conference the following morning. All smiles. On Friday, May 9th, I reported in the Daily News that Goodell made the decision to suspend Brady for Deflategate and the news would be released by the NFL the following week. I just wasn't sure how many games he was getting. The NFL spent the entire weekend denying my report, claiming it was premature. It was only premature because the NFL had not yet announced it, which they did that Monday by suspending Brady four games. Goodell's ruling was a result of Ted Wills' $5 million, 243-page, 100-day investigation that was more about connecting the dots back to Brady than it was based on actual evidence. Wells wrote that it was more probable than not that Brady was at least generally aware of the inappropriate activities that involved the release of air from Patriots game balls by two locker room attendants. It was not a good look for Brady that he destroyed his cell phone that contained texts with his alleged co-conspirators on the locker room staff. Here's Wells. If, if I were sitting on a jury and the judge had charged the jury that it should apply the preponderance of the evidence standard, I would have checked the box that said proven. I believe the conclusions have been proven by the preponderance of the evidence standard. I use the words more probable than not because that is what is in the rules. Because I thought it was appropriate when people read my report always make sure that they understood the burden of proof that I was following. I did not want someone to read the book report if I just said prove it and think perhaps I had used a beyond a reasonable doubt standard. I think that would have been misleading. So I was very careful to craft in the report just what the appropriate standard of proof was. And that is far different than probable cause some reporters have, uh, have reported. The, beyond, the um, preponderance of the evidence standard is the commonly used standard in most civil litigation. The first time Brady and Goodell would see each other after the Patriots' victory over the Seahawks in the Super Bowl was on June 23rd when Brady appealed the four-game suspension. Goodell presided over the hearing in a basement conference room at NFL headquarters at 345 Park Avenue. Fans were lined up four deep outside the building, some wearing free Brady t-shirts. The hearing lasted 10 hours, and Brady exited through a garage to a waiting car without commenting. Five weeks later, Goodell upheld his own ruling. I thought from the beginning this whole thing was a witch hunt, a makeup call by Goodell after he received negative pushback from NFL owners following his decision to not suspend Belichick in Spygate. Kraft upset Patriot fans when he did not challenge Goodell finding the team $1 million and taking away first and fourth round draft picks. He was a lead guy and didn't want to drag the NFL through the courts, but he totally supported Tom Brady. I mean, they took probably the poster child of everything good about the game, the way he does everything, and they tried to besmirch him. And it was just poor judgment. Brady was perfectly miserable in Judge Berman's courtroom that day. Not once did he make eye contact with Goodell. 
Just about six months earlier, Goodell was handing Brady the MVP trophy and they posed for pictures. Now Brady couldn't stand the sight of him. Brady won his appeal, which was announced one week before the Patriots' season opener. Berman's ruling, as required by law, was based on the NFL process and application of the collecting bargaining agreement and not the evidence presented by the NFL in the case. It was strictly procedural. Berman's decision allowed Brady to play the 2015 season uninterrupted, although the NFL immediately filed an appeal that would be heard in March. As the defending Super Bowl champions, the Patriots are hosting the Thursday night 2015 season opener against the Steelers. My book was coming out the next week, and I brought an advanced copy for Tom Brady Sr., who had come in from California to watch the game. We met prior to kickoff in a lounge on the second level of the stadium. A few days earlier, after a San Francisco radio host claimed Tom Brady cheated by having the air taken out of the footballs, Tom Sr. called into the show and called Roger Goodell a flaming liar. Remember when I said in an earlier episode that Tom Sr. was outspoken and I often got the impression he was saying what his son was thinking but couldn't say himself? That's how I felt in this case. Tom surely appreciated his father sticking up for him and his comments made national headlines. But Tom Sr. told me that night that Tommy instructed him to zip his lips after that radio appearance. Tom told Tom Sr., Dad, you're not doing me any favors. The U.S. Second Circuit Court of Appeals, comprised of three judges, heard the case in March and by a two-to-one vote in April, overturned Berman's rulings. Brady lost a subsequent appeal in July, and there was talk he could appeal all the way to the Supreme Court, which would have been a terrible waste of taxpayer money. However, before training camp opened, Brady threw up the white flag and took his medicine. He would sit out the first four games of the 2016 season. Brady made the most of not having to work in September. He attended his first game at Michigan Stadium since his final game there in 1999. Jim Harbaugh named him honorary captain. Tom went on a five-day golf vacation with his father to Pebble Beach. Tom and Giselle vacationed on Capri Island off the coast of Italy. Quite frankly, it sounded like Ferris Bueller's day off. Here's my conversation with Tom Brady Sr. How, how difficult do you think those four weeks were for him? I mean, was he completely miserable or was he able to kind of put his blinders on and maybe even enjoy the four weeks? I don't think he was the least miserable. I thought he was uh, as buoyant and as happy as I've seen him in a long time. So it was not, uh, there was no anchor around his, his, uh, uh, around his ankle on during those four weeks. He was, you know, he, he, had, he hadn't had a September off in 25 years. So it was, uh, kind of refreshing. Not that he wants to ever do it again for a long time. <laughs> uh, he, he was freed to do some things that he didn't have, to, has never had time to do before. Then he came back and played pissed off. In his first game, he threw for 406 yards and three touchdowns in a 33-13 victory in Cleveland. He was 11-1 in the regular season with 28 touchdowns and just two interceptions. I asked Kraft if Brady played angry and even more determined in 2016, 
following his suspension. Well, he's a very positive person. And yeah, I mean, did it give him a little extra motivation? Sure. So in a strange way, I, you know, I, yeah, you have to be capable to be able to execute. But yeah, I think it was an extra motivator. The Patriots' 13-3 record earned them the number one seed in the playoffs. They easily beat the Texans and Steelers to advance to Super Bowl 51. After Brady held his press conference in the team meeting room following the victory in the AFC Championship game, I spotted him standing by his locker by himself. I went over and talked to him. He said he claimed not to hear the Where's Roger chant in the stadium after fans had chanted, Brady, Brady, Brady. Goodell was not a fan favorite in Foxborough, obviously, and he elected to attend the NFC game in Atlanta. The fans knew that. I asked Tom how much satisfaction he would derive if his season, which started with the suspension, was to end with Goodell handing him one more Super Bowl MVP trophy. I have no animosity toward anybody, man. I'm a very loving person. <laughs> so I want to win for my family. I want to win for my teammates and my coaches and our fans. Brady is ultra competitive, and not for a second did I believe he would not get incredible pleasure sticking it to Goodell. But the Patriots stunk up NRG Stadium Houston for most of the first three quarters of Super Bowl 51 against the Atlanta Falcons. They trailed 28-3 with a little more than a quarter left. But Brady put on a spectacular comeback, and the Patriots won in overtime 34-28. The victory was so meaningful to Brady because his mother Galen had been diagnosed with cancer and was not cleared to travel during the 16th season until the Super Bowl. His whole family was there. Brady was elated on the victory podium after the game as he addressed the Patriots fans. Thank you to all our fans. Everyone back in Boston, New England, we love you. You've been with us all year. We're bringing this sucker home. Brady's season began with people questioning his legacy because of Spygate, because of Deflategate. But he ended the season with 466 yards passing in a wild comeback victory in the Super Bowl. Anybody who questions Brady's legacy now just hasn't been paying attention. He has since made it to two more Super Bowls and won his sixth title. As Goodell was about to hand the Lombardi Trophy to Kraft, the Patriot fans drowned him out with booze. And then Kraft took some not-so-veiled shots at the commissioner. Two years ago, we won our fourth Super Bowl down in Arizona. And I told our, I told our fans that was the sweetest one of all. But a lot has transpired during the last two years. And I don't think that needs any explanation. But I want to say to our fans, our brilliant coaching staff, our amazing players who are so spectacular, this is unequivocally the sweetest. And I'm proud to say, for the fifth time, we are all Patriots. And tonight, for the fifth time, the Patriots are world champions. On the next episode of The GOAT, 
Tom Brady, I will bring in Jim Nance of CBS to tell the fascinating story of the time he and Brady played golf in Maine with former presidents George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton. I will also bring you the lighter side of Brady with tales of his locker room practical jokes. I'm Gary Myers, and thanks so much for listening. The Goat, Tom Brady, is a production of Diversion Podcast in association with iHeartRadio. This season is written and hosted by me, Gary Myers. Executive producers Scott Waxman and Mark Francis for Diversion Podcast and Sean Titone for iHeartRadio. Story editing by Scott Waxman with editorial direction from John Tuttle. Editing, mixing, and sound design by Mark Francis. Archival research by Brianne Murphy. Verna Fields is our technical producer, and our director of marketing and business development is Jacob Bronstein. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA. Find Diversion on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Diversion Pods. And let us know, what do you think of the show? Send us your questions, your comments, and even your critiques. That's Diversion Pods on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.